Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Lindsay Ray Burleson from Two Headed Dog and Michael Neff from the Cottonmouth Club coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She's a bartender and beverage consultant. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good, and I'm back. You're back. It's been, it hasn't been that long. It always feels like I just haven't been here, and I don't know what's going on. And, you know, you just, you should have me on more often. <laughs> You you come on about as often as everyone else. Blah, blah, blah. I don't care about and, everybody and else. You're, I care and about me. Me. You're me, a busy. Me. You're a busy lady. You can be hard to schedule. I mean, you are right. Um, no, it's great to be back. Um, what are we chatting about today? So, that's that sounds like a good excuse to jump into the news of the week. Topic number one. I mean, really, there's like there's like one major piece of food news. Ugh. In and out is here. Oh, I, garbage! Who cares? Not even inside the loop. I, okay, get out of here. A lot of people. A lot of people care. Okay, fine. Just judging by the number of people who read my article about it. So, this has been a weird obsession, like a an editorial obsession of Culture Maps, longer than I have been working for Culture Map. Mm-hmm. And considering I've been with the website for six years, that's a pretty long time. Uh, the rumors of In-N-Out's interest in Houston first started to circulate in 2011. So it's been eight years from we think they're coming until, oh my God, they're finally here. Mm-hmm. People are freaking out. There are two locations that opened on the same day, one in Stafford, one in Katy. People are waiting like two hours in line to get to get a double-double. Crazy. Do you, do you, you're not going to wait that long. You've had it in and out, right? You've had it in other cities. Yeah, I've had it in California. What do you think? It's fine. It's no Shake Shack. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> so that's where my that's where my that's my camp. I'm Camp Shake Shack. Team Shake Shack. Team Shake Shack. Yeah. So, what do you? I mean, it's always interesting to me when when these new restaurants open, and people. I'm also Team Burger Chan too. Well, we know. This, this, uh, this shout podcast out. is Team Burger Chan. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, shout out, shout out to our homies. Well, and eventually they're going to open in this very building, and then I'm never going to eat anywhere for lunch ever, any, I mean, I know, right? anywhere else ever again. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm always just a little bit like I don't like I've eaten I've eaten in and out in other cities. I legitimately enjoy it. I'm excited that it's here. But it's not inside the loop, so what does it matter? Well, there's I mean, a lot of people that live outside. There's a lot of people that live in Sugarland I mean, and Stafford, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, and and a lot not, of people that live in Katy. I mean, I'm not hating on on the fact that people like having things, and and I and I think that's really what I mean. I'll be honest with you. Like, let's really talk about like why it's such a big deal out, you know, in Sugarland, Stafford, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, it's kind of a it's kind of a food desert. Like, it's a lot of chains. Um, we've seen a couple of people go out there and, you know, the staffing is really hard to, to, you know, it's, it's hard to staff out there. Like, I think, you know, 
Um, the, well, like your friend Justin Turner opened a Bernie's Burger Bust in Katy. Yeah. That I think has done fairly well for him. I don't think he's mad about it. No, I mean, but it's nothing like the one in the Heights. The one in the Heights is crushing. It does right. very well. Right. He opened another one in Missouri City. And it's kind of, you know what I mean? It's it's doing okay. But I think the demographic, and I mean, it just goes to say that, like, if you know your guest, and if you've got, if you've built it for the right people, I think that people will come. You know what I mean? Like, and you have to be able to, like, know and, and understand that, like, hey, this is a, this is a beloved burger chain, you know, across, across the country, well, divided, divided a little right, bit. But, you right, right. Uh, only as far, I think Houston is the farthest east that In-N-Out exists. Maybe. It, I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's crossed, it certainly hasn't crossed the Mississippi River yet. It's yeah. been a, it's been a slow march, but this is, I, I don't fully understand the mentality of someone who's like, I want to wait two hours for this, fast food burger yeah but i am legitimately excited that it's here because now we can stop talking about when is in and out going to come and we can stop feeling snubbed by in and out as they open in austin and dallas and san antonio it's like okay good they're here now we've got it we're going to get more of them obviously they've already announced one in one in willowbrook they they bought a piece of property down the street from here on on westheimer kind of near fondren um no word on whether that's still in the works or in the plan or whatever, but I think they will, in theory, they will come inside the loop at some point. Um, and they'll probably go to, you know, they'll go to the woodlands and they'll go to clear Lake and, and, and all that stuff. But, um, I don't know. It's, this is, this was just one of those, like those kind of cultural moments when, when like food news, like cultural moments, well, but it, it's, really? it's very rare. It's this, very rare for food I'm news to it. like, to hop into like the mainstream media. But then, like every TV station in town was like parked out in front of In and Out with a camera to record yeah. how long the line was. Yeah, of course. But okay, cool. In and Out, you're in town. I'm over it. Topic number two. Topic number two. <laughs> Ryan Hildebrand has left FM Kitchen. What does that really mean? Well, it's. I I think I think that's a good. It's that's not, a good question. I, I just don't think that's big of a deal. People are losing, not losing. People are leaving their restaurants all the freaking time. Yes, Ryan is an amazing chef and did really great things for FM. Right. I think. I think so. I think there's two things about this. Right. Is that Ryan has always been a really talented, really hardworking guy. You know, he led the kitchen. He was a partner in Trinity. He led that kitchen for years. It never quite achieved success that was commensurate with its quality, mm-hmm. right? So then, mm-hmm. you know, they sort of they sort of take that ethos and flip it to what is basically burgers and comfort food, and it's been a huge hit. I mean, you know, it's got that great patio, and and the menu is pretty simple, but it's consistent. People just like it, and they're going to open a second one in Montrose. Um, and so I, you know, I, the other thing is that FM and Trinity both had the same investor. And so Ryan and, and Chong Yi have been uh, business partners since like 2011. So this almost, you know, this eight year relationship comes to an end. And, and I think, I think FM kitchen is going to be fine, right? Like Ryan, Ryan's got the top spinning. They've got a good management team. 
I think that's going to be fine. I think what's more interesting is kind of what Ryan's going to do next because he does have this fine dining pedigree and he is a really talented guy. And so making burgers and chicken fried steak and whatever else, I can't imagine that was fulfilling for him. Well, we'll just see what happens with, with, with him at the next move. I think, you know, um, I think that um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really, there's a lot of restaurants right now in Houston. There's a lot of restaurants, bars, you know, establishments. Everyone's shifting in and out, you know. I would much rather have this conversation in about three or four months and see exactly where he lands. Yeah, the the, the only, I don't think he has a firm plan. He did tell me he wants to kind of, whatever he does next, he wants to capture the spirit of cooking in his backyard with his daughters. That that's been a very meaningful experience for him. So... I don't I don't know what he's doing next. He hasn't told me, but if it if it does get that kind of spontaneity and that kind of just fun, you know, I think that'd be that'd be great for everybody. Cool. All right. Topic number three. Lottie Dottie. Uh, Lottie Dottie closed. I'm sad about this. I'm sad about this. I'm like I'm bummed. I'm so bummed. We we went there a few times together. Yeah, I mean, and I I've talked about that stupid burger, you know. Um I've introduced it to people and I've taken like a couple of my new in-town friends and you know, I'm really um I mean, it just goes to it just goes without saying like, you know, you can have a great bar team, you can have a good concept. You can, but there are things, and I think that the things that really were a, a big deal for Houstonians is parking. Like, you got to have parking. You got to have some sort of parking, some sort of, you well, know, so let something. Me, so let me just ask you about this, because I uh-huh. was, I went to Grand Prize this weekend, and I was thinking about that. They don't really have any parking. Okay, but you have to remember, like, it's f- chock full of, like, stuff around them so people can walk and kind of and they've been established you know they've been established for they just hit nine years yeah you know um bernie's on banks you know like right is also and i mean uh ernie's 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 on banks sorry that was 10 years ago sorry um i i hey i only know because i used to go there well but you have to think about that It's, it's there's literally like there's tons of off street parking, you know, they don't have their own parking, but there's at least 30 or 40 parking spots within a one or two block area. And it isn't like blocked off. And like, I mean, BAC, you know, Brooklyn, but Brooklyn, like, but like don't people Uber? I mean, isn't that the whole point of yeah, ours? But Houstonians are still attached to their freaking cars. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah, we have Uber. People are still getting in and out of their vehicles. You know, and they had literally no parking. Like they had, they had. They had what? like six spots at the end of the block. At the end of the block, like which everyone lot. And, and everyone kept getting their car smashed, and you know, it was just like it's just a Montrose thing. That's just ends up happening. But regardless, like there's that. You know, they didn't have a marketing team. They didn't have a marketing firm. They didn't have a PR. They didn't have anyone pushing out their specials. Like, yeah, but I mean, like two headed dog doesn't have mark. Like, two-headed dog but yeah, two headed two headed dog has 
no more than three employees on staff. Like at one time, they had six or seven staff members. They had two bars, you know, they had 400 seats. You know what I mean? Like, like all in all, like that, it was a big monster to sustain. Like you have to, you have to consider that like two headed dog is tiny. You know, it's the same thing as Cottonmouth. They're both really great bars, but you know, there's 15 people in there and you know, it still feels pretty comfortable when you walk into a 250 or 300 300 right. spot, patio bar patio bar and, and you're looking around and there's like two and, other tables occupied yeah and there's yeah when there's like when the patio has when when a place that has 200 seats and there's 15 people in there feels like nothing you know it feels like a speck and people are attracted like there's big patio bar patio bars are kind of like it's ambitious you know and you have to be able to like right you, you got to be present company or or, or axel run you right. Axel Rad's uh, a great example. Well, Axel Rad also has like a ton of programming, like right. in that movie nights, bands. And that's and that's the thing. It's is that nowadays you can't just have just a great bar team and food. Now it's like everyone has stepped up their game. You know, if you're gonna if you want more than a hundred people in your in your in your establishment, you must. You have to do programming. You have to have some sort of PR. You have to have like and you've gotta have enough money for a year, you know, because it's going to be an ebb and flow of, you know, of, mm-hmm. of events and, you know, maybe a hurricane or maybe a world series, or maybe you should have all the TVs or no TVs at all. You know, are you going to have a bingo night? Are you going to, you know, it was just, um, and that's something that, you know, I don't think that, you know, I just don't think that, whoever opened and you have to remember the people that opened up that bar not not the managing partners not the gms a lot of the people investors were not restaurant people and they weren't bar people yeah i don't i don't know who they like i don't know them yeah but you know i don't know the people behind the scenes so i don't know yeah but that's but that's just like i i it's it sucks that there are places that are you know just still humming along you know, um, and, you know, you just you hope that like people pay attention to like the little things or even the bigger things like parking, you know. Right. Um, all that good stuff. But, you know, say lovey. All right. And then topic number four, Clark Cooper Concepts, the local restaurant group behind Brasserie 19, Punk Simple Southern Food, the Dunleavy. And Copa Osteria mm-hmm. are opening a new healthy eating concept in a River Oaks office building called Satisfy. Generally, the food will be vegetable forward, non-GMO, gluten-free. Where is it located? So it's 29. It's like the 2900 block of San Felipe. There's an office building there. They used to have a little coffee shop. So east of so between Kirby and Shepherd. Okay, all right. So very much River Oaks, like very in that sense, like very consistent with who Clark Cooper's customers are. Um, casual grab and go counter service. I don't know yet. I don't know if they said. Okay. I don't know if it's full service or counter service. I haven't been. It hasn't opened yet. Oh, okay. It's not going to open until February or March. February or March. Eye roll, giant eye roll. 
Well, let me. It's let me, November, yo. Let me just, let why, me, why aren't we talking about stuff that we can go to this month or next month? Is what I want to know. Well, let me just. Let me just. Let me just. This is kind of their right. version of a place like Vibrant or a place like Flower Child. I get it. Stop telling me about stuff that's going to be open in like three or four months. I hate. I hate it. I hope everyone else hates it too. <laughs> All right, that does it for the news of the week. <laughs> we'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Oh, man. Uh. You're like, I fucking hate you, Salinas. <laughs> You're the fucking worst. Uh. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Linda, we did not have the opportunity to dine together for our restaurants of the week. So, let me just put it to you. Where have you been eating recently? What what are what's the what's the best meal you've had in the last two weeks? Oh man, um, I you know, I've had some really excellent meals. So I went to Dolce Vita yesterday. It's still very good. Um, I'm really sad that it's going to be off the market soon. Yeah, at some point, right? The building is for sale. We've talked about that on the show before. Yeah. Eventually, someone's going to buy the building, and that'll be the end of the restaurant. Oh, I know. I'm gonna. But for now, but for now, still good. Still very good. Um, I really wish they had their patio set up when we were sitting outside, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, I had a really excellent meal at UB Preserve. Um, I didn't like the fact that I was requested several times to make all my decisions all at once because I don't like making decisions all at once. No, um, you want to have a couple of things and, and yeah. then see where you're at. See where, see where I'm at, yeah. Um, it's also a good way to control the pace at which the dishes come to you. Yes. I mean, but that's what they're good at. You know, um, the cocktails were like absolutely outstanding. Uh, I had a cocktail called the entertainer. Let me, I'm just, come on, get it together. Like the Billy Joel song? Mm, It, I mean, on the spot, on the spot. It was, uh, it had a first off. It had a little sidecar of rosé, sparkling rosé. Okay, a sidecar. Yeah, which I'm about that life. Yeah, no, I got a. I went to Maris Grill last week. Uh huh. And I ordered a Manhattan. Uh huh. And it came with a sidecar with more Manhattan in it. Yes, yes, Queen. Yeah, I, I was like. Uh, It was called the Adult Entertainer, and it was dried gin, lime, passion fruit, which is liquid alchemist, um, which is this uh, syrup, uh, a little hint of vanilla, and then it was a little sidecar of rosé. That's just adorable. So what do you, you like go back and forth? You like sip the cocktail and then sip the rosé? I mean, I was like, oh, let me me get myself ready. Boom! That little sidecar rosé was just like... All right, what what did you eat? Oh, um... I had uh, some dumplings, uh, Szechuan dumplings, uh, salt and pepper, squid. And then we also had this really lovely um, autumn, autumn like squash dish with like covered in greens and fresh Parmesan. Um, and then uh, I went across the street to the most beloved Montrose cheese and wine. Um, Montrose cheese and wine is by far the best secret as far as bread, all things snacky and cheese. It was so good. I love those guys. Yeah. I, it's an impressive place. Montrose, well, 
UB Preserve, I had ranked as the third best restaurant in Houston. So I'm definitely all in favor of that. Monster Cheese and Wine I like because it's a wine shop, but they have that little tasting counter and that, that cute little patio, and they, they don't charge a corkage fee. Yeah. So if you buy a bottle at the shop, and they, they have some in the fridge, so you can, so just this is this is the difference between a retail markup and a restaurant markup. A glass of June's Rosé next door at Rosie Cannonball is 12 bucks. The whole bottle at Montrose Cheese and Wine is 20. Yeah. So you know, if you if you have the choice, if you're not going for a full meal, if you just want to drink the wine and maybe have a little a little snack with it, well, you would definitely go to Montrose Cheese and Wine and not to Rosie Cannonball. Yeah, and and there's nothing and and honestly like $12 is it's a it's a still a good value and it's a, but that's your it's the convenience of you not having to buy the whole bottle you know have to you know you have to you know finish the whole thing or you don't finish it and then you're like walking around with this bottle and you're you know you're you know what i mean it's just like it's a it's a nightmare but um yeah i mean i love what they i love what those guys do well and i've been to rosie cannonball a couple of times in the last two or three weeks mm mm-hmm. I, I've had really good food there. Um, I think the the pizza in particular has gotten really strong. They get these great crust bubbles. The, the crust has this this great flavor. And I finally had the the steak, which they do with these like fire roasted peppers. It's just like sweet and smoky. Steak was seasoned beautifully, cooked exactly medium rare. Um, just a really satisfying experience. And that. Uh, focaccio Direcchio, which is the the thin bread with the that's the, the gooey cheese you, and the salty that's mortadella. That's the only thing that I recommend. I mean, I that's mean, what, that's, that's, that's like that's my jam. Though that's like the dish of the year. Yeah, like that might like all Houston restaurants to open in 2019. Like that's the for me. I think that's the dish of the year. Well, and if you get a chance and they have them, you have them finish that beast off with some truffles and go real hard. That's the, that's, the, that's the real move. That's the, that's the baller move? Yeah, that's the baller move. All right. Uh, and then I wanted to ask you about the great bar race. I was not... Ah, the great bar race. I was not able to attend, but I think every okay. bartender I follow on Instagram was there. Okay, there. so the great bar race is basically like Double Dare Nickelodeon style. You guys remember that show? Much of like... You know, series of games, you know... Right. Physical challenges. Physical challenges. There was, I think, eight bar teams ranking from classic cocktail bars to, I mean, BLT was there, um, which was one of Bobby Hugel's teams. Um, those guys, um, the Lottie Dot, the late Lottie Dottie bar team. Um, there was, there was, a, there was just, there's too many. I know Shane from Grand Prize was there with the Yeah, team. like there, there was just like a set of, well, and we All should give these... a shout out to Culture because they won. Well, I was just about to finish this shenanigans. Anyways, so the way that it was set up is that they had a, a series of like physical challenges. Like you had someone riding a bike and the bike would pump water into a soda gun and you had to get a certain amount of water into this other, you know, whatever, whatever. Like it just like it was a series of that. Um, there was a relay and the relay was, the I think, the coolest was you had a set of ingredients. You had to make one cocktail. You first run up to the station, make a drink, put it on a tray and then run through a, a, a gamut of Obstacle large... Course. Yeah, large balls hidden your way, you know. And trying to knock the drink out of Trying to tray. knock the drink out of your freaking tray. You make it you ma- it makes it there and then you have to run back through the balls. Tag team, 
other team member r- runs off, makes the other cocktail, and then you know, and then at the toward towards the end, you have to get the rest of your team back, and you have to tie your legs together to fit to carry the entire tray of drinks to the finish end. Bananas. Um, so many people spilled their drinks. Or just, it was... It seems designed to make people Of course, of course. But of course, you know, uh, Nathan Rafael, he's the uh, ambassador for Grey Goose. He's like, Linda, not only is it hard to like make sure that all these bartenders are at their their teams, you know, at at their spots for the next two hours, but making sure no one gets too saucy, you know? I'm like, oh my goodness. Well, yeah, that was the report that I heard was that everybody was drunk. Well, no, every, but everyone was very competitive. So nobody was drinking towards the beginning, like or oh, not okay. towards the beginning. Like everybody was like, I was like, "Hey, do you need a drink?" No, I don't want anything to drink. Like, I no, I cannot. I we got we got to finish. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of bartenders there, like great bartenders that I've had amazing drinks, drink, great drink development, beautiful service. Freaking team from Culture came with it. They crushed they had to basically pour have cosmopolitans poured into a helmet in a stirring glass taped to their helmet okay cosmo glass and they had to walk across the stage to pour it into a massive cosmopolitan martini glass and filled up a glass like toe-to-toe to, like, just, oh, that was the last. That, that was, was how the they last, picked the winner. That's how they picked the winner. It was bananas. It was so much fun. I, you know, honestly, they were kind of an underdog. Like, you know, they're not all classically trained. Some of them are, but like the fact that they had so much heart and they just kept cranking, and I, it was, it was fun. So okay. next, uh, next time, Grey Goose. Has it if you guys get a chance? Yeah, I got I got the invite and blew it off. Of course you I did. Feel, but but I feel appropriately bad about it. If it comes back here next year, I'll go. All right. Anyways, right. Uh, it's been a it's been a great week. All right, Linda, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks a lot. I will be right back with Michael Neff and Lindsay Burleson. You're listening to What's Eric Eating. I'm joined this week by Lindsay Ray Burleson. One of the owners of Two Headed Dog, a new bar in Midtown. And welcoming back Michael Neff, one of the owners in the Cottonmouth Club downtown. Michael, welcome back to the show. How are you? Very good. And it's nice to be back. Lindsay, welcome. Thanks. Uh, it's nice to be here. <laughs> I'm I'm thrilled that you're here. I you know, I, I feel like I've known you for a long time. I mean, probably going back to well, certainly going back to your involvement in Grand Prize, you're, uh, this is, this is not, this is only going to mean anything to like 5% of the audience, but when you got hired as the beverage director at Grand Prize, I got a text message from Brad Moore. It was like, we hired Lindsay Ray and I said, congratulations. And he said, do you want to come talk to her? And I was like, are you pitching me? Like, <laughs> Like you're Brad Moore, you don't have to pitch me. Just like tell me what you want. I'll yeah. do whatever. So you're the you're the only time Brad you're the only person that Brad Moore has ever only time he's ever pitched me a story. Yeah, I think it's, it it's one of those things that was a surprise to everyone when I moved over there, just because I'd been at Poison Girl for 
11 years at that point. And I hadn't really been a cocktail person at that time. And I was going over there to revamp everything. And uh, Brad and Ryan super believed in me. But I think everybody else was just kind of like, what did you guys do? Like, what you sink in the whole ship? And uh, we ended, I ended up not burning it down or sinking the ship. So <laughs> Still going strong. Yeah. Lindsay and Dan are doing a great job over there. How did you get started as a bartender? Because I, I remember when we talked about Two-Headed Dog uh, for Culture Map, you said something about kind of growing up in East Texas and making your way to the big city. Yeah. Um, I mean, I bartended at Honky Tonks, but my first real like big time gig. I was 18 working in after hours hip hop clubs. And then I went over to that and worked the honky-tonk scene and then moved to Montrose and have pretty much been working in dive bars, whiskey bars, and slowly made my way to cocktails. I remember Justin Bro telling me one day, he's like, come over to Fitzgerald, let's make some cocktails and glasses, like plastic glasses. You can do that. I was like, no, I'm not doing anything like that. I'm going to put the liquid in the glass and have a big old party all the time. And uh, <laughs> it's switched where we're still putting liquids in the glasses and having a big old party. They're just a little more complicated these days. Yeah, they're just a little fancier. Now. Yeah. Well, tell me about... I mean, tell me about Two-Headed Dog, because it does, it does seem a little bit like Grand Prize Midtown. Yeah. Well, in that way that um, the reason I loved being at Grand Prize and what Ryan and Brad started there was they wanted it to be a place where you don't yuck anybody's yums. You can totally get a vodka soda. You can get a shot of Fireball, fireball but you can also get a Vucre. You get a Ramos if you wanted. Um, you can get pretty much anything there on any night of the week by anybody who's behind that bar. And it was no matter if you had a $5 pair of shoes or a $5,000 pair of shoes, there was a budget for you. And I think that type of mentality in bar service is something that's missing sometimes in the city. Um, and it was if we were ever going to create a bar, I would want that because it also helps your percentage cost wise. It helps keep going. It helps the create creativity um and i think it helps you attach to your community more because it gives you wiggle room if hey this week it's sports like we have tvs and beers and shots but if next week you know we have a doom tiki and guest bartenders that are coming in doing high craft we have the capability of doing that too um and not make anybody feel out of place yeah and 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 have a an, an audience of customers who like they'll come for you know, you were you were like a low key spot to watch World Series games. Yeah, but you know you're, you're still going to have you know vibrator races or or you know whatever absolutely whatever yeah. shenanigans you yeah. got going on. <laughs> Twelve foot vibrator racing track and the World Series at the same time. It was one of my favorite nights so far. <laughs> it was just money in people's hands and yelling at baseball and vibrators. It was great. <laughs> you know, that's two out of dog. How's it How's it going so far? It's been great. Um, in the way that's almost shocking and we're really grateful because it, we're really hard to find, but when you find us, people keep coming back. Um, and You're across I, the street from the CVS. I know. Right? But people are like, what do you mean? The Verizon wireless, we're like we're behind the wooden fence. Like, cause above us, you see those office buildings and you're like, Oh, it's an empty building. But then once you walk behind the fence, you're like, Whoa, am I in like, like small town, Texas? Like what's going on here? Why are there garden gnomes everywhere? And you know, porn on the walls. You're a two-headed dog. You found your home. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> I, you know, I remember like you you messaged me, you know, for the soft opening and you had, I mean, I want to say you had like six bottles on the back bar. Yeah, 
we had six bottles on the back bar and three beers. And um, but we did have pina coladas, you know. <laughs> and thank God. And and you had like a couple of fun frozen drinks. Yeah. Uh, and I think the last time I was in the back bar looks like it's filling out a little bit. So I take that as a good sign. Yeah, we have over a hundred bottles now, which is really nice. Um, it's nice to have inventory sheets and pars and you know, the ability to make all the things. Do you miss having six bottles? Um, no, I don't. Cause well, at the time I was so proud of those six bottles. I was like, look, we, these are, and we saw the pictures from the opening and Billy and I were like, we are so embarrassed because we were so proud of this really ugly baby. Like, <laughs> Like, I get it now. I don't have kids, but I think I get it now. <laughs> Michael, I, I don't mean to ignore you. Let no, me, let me, uh, let me, let me bring you in on this. Cause I, how did you guys become friends? Oh man. I, I was surprising to me. I don't, I don't know why it was surprising to me, but when the two of you were at two at a dog together and you're like, oh yeah, we hang out all the time. I, I just, I'm never quite sure where the, the overlapping like Venn diagrams of the people I know intersects. Right. I'm never because right. sometimes I'll be like, oh, you don't know so and so. Like, how is that? Like, how have you never met that person? But but then I was just I don't know why I was surprised. I was surprised. I mean, I, I, I suppose I just got lucky. Uh, Lies. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing, when I came to Houston, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm still the new guy, even though I've been here for almost two years now. I was surrounded by people who were saying things like, oh, my God, you haven't been there. Like, you got to go. And my response was almost always, well, like, please take me. Lindsay was one of the first and still one of the only people who <laughs> said those words. And especially, especially, I have a love of dive bars. And, I, you know, in a new city, I kind of experience it, a city through its bars. I think many people do. So defining a city as, as, as nightlife is important to it. Lindsay was the first and sometimes the only person who, was, who said, no, I've got a list and we're going to this list. So to take, especially when you're me and you have a new business and you're on the bar a lot and you're always busy. She was, she was very uh, excellent about kind of showing up and saying like, okay, we're leaving now and I'm taking you to places that no one else will take you. And, and, and it was, I, I, I appreciate her for that. All right. I have, I have to ask, where did you take him? Uh, his favorite was Shiloh. This is true. Yeah. Took him to Shiloh club. He hadn't been to big star bar. We went to shady acres. Yeah. Um, there was a couple more in there. Did we make it to rehab? Yes. Rehab on the bayou. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been there once. Yeah, I love that place. It's a little gym. The, the ducks in the back. Yeah, yeah the little the little bayou yeah. floating by. Yeah, They're my favorite thing is like, be an adult, don't fall in the bayou. Like, And it's literally like a drop to your death. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I used to run a bar in New York called uh, Holiday Cocktail Lounge, which is that kind of that kind of confluence of, you know, Let's have a big party. Everyone sings the same song. Yes, we can make cocktails, but we're probably also doing shots. And every city's kind of got their bar like that. And the one that I was told about in Houston was Grand Prize. So, I mean, that's how I first started going there. Because, again, I love that kind of environment, which is why I try to make it, right? And, you know, this was when Lindsay was there quite a bit. And so we kind of probably met because we had a lot of friends in common. Mm -hmm. But it was nice to be able to go, especially when you're not, you know, I'm not, cool nor famous enough to be just like walk into a city and have everybody go like, Oh my God, thank God you're here. It was nice to have someone who I'd been introduced to and we had friends in common who was actually in a bar that I wanted to hang out in, even if I didn't get to hang out very much. But you're also the fellow that brings a book and drinks a beer in the corner. This is true. Yeah, this is true. I mean, so I, you, treat, you treat bars like most people treat coffee shops. 
Uh, well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, after all this time, it's uh, I love I love bars as a place to kind of participate in community, whether you're in the community or not. Like the whole purpose of a bar is that you get to come in as a stranger and say like we're all together, even if we're not hanging out. So it's very very comfortable for me to find a place where I can sit, kind of you know I would happily have a conversation, but I don't necessarily need it kind of enjoy what everybody's doing and then just kind of like being around that environment of people, just kind of the bottom of it is, is what always brings me back. Yeah. When I was at grand prize Friday night, there, there were all these like serendipitous encounters, like Ryan West, Ryan Rouse was in town. I haven't seen Ryan in a lot. You know, I, I think I see Ryan like once or twice a year, inevitably when, when I'm at grand prize and he happens to be in town, caught up with him and then walked downstairs and like, this couple where I've known the I've known the husband literally for twenty years is there uh with his wife and two of their friends. And like they live in Humble. So like they shouldn't, you know, by by the usual rules of where and when I see them, like they shouldn't be there. So it's it's just like extra fun. And and I feel like I mean, I don't know, maybe that maybe that could happen at some place like Anvil. It just doesn't feel like it's as likely to. Like it, it takes a place like grand prize it's a little more casual and a little more spontaneous to to have those kind of uh chance meetings i guess i think it just depends like what kind of bars people like going to you know and then what kind of bars bring communities together in a way i think anvil does in a way where you're going to see somebody who's a different bartender that you know there from out of state you know but if you're going to see somebody you knew from high school, you're going to go to a different style of institute. Um, and so when you start looking at bars like community institutions and how you associate with them, Grand Prize is the holiday run to, which I hope that Two Headed Dog becomes that. And I know if I go to Cottonmouth, um, I'm never going to sit at the bar by myself. I'm going to end up finding someone to have a conversation with because that is a bar that brings people together in a way where Houston is sometimes a bring your own friends city. Um, you can walk into a place and no one's going to speak to you. Or bring um, your own fun. Which yeah, is, bring yeah. your own fun, definitely. Um, and so it's interesting to see these places come to be and evolve into what they are to give people different options in the city. Um, I just hope people find them. Yeah, Michael, how is how is it going at Cottonmouth? I mean, are you building a community of regulars? I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, between the 100 block and the 300 block and Market Square, there's a lot of, seems like there's a lot of competition. Yes and no. I mean, it's going well. And yeah, we're absolutely, you know, building any new bar, especially when you're coming from where I'm coming from, right? Which is not, like, I don't have a history with people um, that goes back, you know, decades. I haven't been in the business in this in this city for all the time. So I, what I lack in kind of long relationships, I gain in trying to just do something the way I do it and it's new enough to some people that when they see it they're like oh my god this is great which is wonderful and so you know people you know we're, we're on an interesting block because there's us and then we have Lillian Bloom which is a, a kind of related but different type of bar and then you have Etro which is an 80s nightclub you know and then around so we you know and then on that end of North Maine the fact that there are many places and there are options to me is a benefit because what we get to offer people is kind of a guided tour of a different kind of experience in downtown. So you can come downtown and I will draw you. I literally have made a, a map that has the different kind of places that you can go, where you should go, 
who to say hello to when you go there. And I mean, obviously I want people to come to my place, but I don't want them to just come to my place. And I'm happy for things like, uh, like when I go to two headed dog, I take the train so I can go and I can take the train. I can go say hi to Lindsay. I can come back and stop at mongoose on the way back while I'm waiting. And then I can like, there's this myriad of experiences that don't require me to have a car, drive it, worry about it, park it. Um, and also it, when, when, especially when people come in from out of town, you, we, our job as bartenders is kind of assess who you are and what you're looking for. So some people I say like, you know what, sit down because music's going to start in about 20 minutes and you're really going to love it. And other people want a tour of what my view of Houston is or what Mike Raymond's view of Houston is or what, you know, Adam Scott's view of Houston is or people who work there. And all of us have a different interpretation, but it's wonderful to be able to, you know, write down on a note and a piece of paper to say like two headed dog. This is how you get there. Give this to Lindsay. Tell her I say hi. Give her a hug. She might do a shot with you and then come back and tell me what she said. Like <laughs> that's a community that you kind of build, not just within a space, but that's how you get a, a bark community and clientele that is used to using a neighborhood as opposed to just using a bar. And that's how you get, you know, a, a little mini reunion at Little Dipper, like Lindsay and I had the other night. I yeah. was going in there to drop off some food or whatever, and she was waiting for an Uber. And then all of a sudden we had, you know, an hour and a half long conversation in a place and time that no one expected to be. And that's happening more and more often. And that's why I love downtown. Is it getting harder to do that? Because I, um, you know, Linda was on the show earlier and we, we talked a little bit about Lottie Dottie closing and I really liked Lottie Dottie and I like Michael Riojas personally. And I thought he had a pretty good staff there. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not good at sort of diagnosing like why, why sometimes things don't work. Um, he has but a I, wonderful staff and it was great food and it was great drinks. Um, and I lived right down the street and I'd go there often um, more so in the last couple of months because I could finally breathe and kind of walk away from living in the bar, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I think they tried, like they didn't, it's sometimes it's lightning in the bottle and sometimes eight places opened up in one month and you can only stretch it so far, especially when we're in a city that I feel like is turning into more of a nine to five dining city instead of a late night drinking city, um, which is, an interesting conundrum we have because we don't have food. We have pop-ups, but we don't constantly have food. Um, and people are like, how did you open a bar without food this day and age? Like, how dare you? How and, dare you just serve drinks? Uh, yeah, it's only and, worked for bars for a hundred and however many years. But I feel like the philosophy of the city has kind of changed with the influx of more people that are working in medical and industries that aren't service oriented or maybe the neighborhood has changed in a way because everybody around me has been priced out. I'm holding steady in the last house. You know, I used to live on bartender alley where it was like 15 bartenders lived on this one street and everybody's been priced out. And just me and my dog in this little homestead with my roommate going, <laughs> we're not leaving the house until they make us, you know, but, um, that entire neighborhood's changed in a way. Like even people that are like walking to grand prize that that used to be in their neighborhood, those people weren't going to cross the bridge and walk the Lottie Dottie because they're walking twice as far as they were um, before because they're not living close to Grand Prize anymore. Um, I think it's the area is changing and people aren't out drinking late as much. And was the articles came out that people just aren't drinking as much either. So, you know, it's a really great time to open a bar. <laughs> I would say, too, though, I mean, a bar, a bar is is not I mean, the alcohol you sell and the things you sell are kind of like the marker. Yeah. 
So, you know, humanity hasn't changed so much as, you know, we have entire institutions dedicated to try to get people to spend their money um, through convenience. So, you know, I can get DoorDash and, you know, I, don't, I can have, have a great meal and not leave my house, you know, and, and you know. And it is never a great. No, no. I love I love those delivery apps. It is never a great meal. It's it's the it's never a great meal. It's the cover version of that restaurant's food. Well, and I would, and and this is kind of my entire philosophy of, of of cocktails and service in the first place. Is that even if you had the chef bring all the ingredients and cook it in your house, it's still not the same out of its environment. So, when you have an entire culture that's kind of designed to take your average consumer and say, "Don't go to a store or shop on Amazon," you know, it's 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 fine, but you miss. Uh, the expertise of the salesperson, for example, and you miss that you, what we're trading is convenience and some price, you know, price pressures for a subpar experience where everyone's like, this is great. I mean, it's fine. I got my bag. And it's very different than the excitement that you would have of saying, like, I'm going to get my bag and then shopping for your bag and walking out with it. Bars are very, very similar. And I think restaurants as well. So trying to get people to remember that there is value in not just the idea that we're we're assembling to drink. There's a human value in us gathering together, sitting next to each other in the presence of music and um, a maitre d', like bartender or, mm -hmm. you know, an owner or someone who's going to sit and say like, oh, you guys need to know each other and then have a drink. Is that That's a very human thing. And the humans still want it and need it, but it's hard to go against the pressure of someone saying like, it's like everyone who sits at your bar and says, I can have a Tecate and I can buy it from the store for 50 cents. Like, why am I paying you $5 for it? It's like, well, I mean, by all means, go home and drink your 50 cent Tecate. But that's sad and pathetic. It's way more fun doing it here. <laughs> right. You have way better taste in music than most of your customers. Well, well let's, let's say. Let, let, I, have, I have a better taste in staff who has a better taste in music generally. But yeah. Right. It's a pyramid scheme, and you're on top, right? right. <laughs> or I'm way <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> I really do think it's about community and choices in community, and can you create those? And I think bars are do or die by your regulars, and not your Friday and Saturday nights, right? Like it's a rule of thumb. You want to make your rent on a Friday night, and the rest of the week. That's what I was always told. You know, you got to if you're not, you're not going to make it if you can't make your rent on a Friday night, and the rest of the way you pay your bills, but. When you think about the people that come in there and the people that create your space, those are your regulars. And if somebody doesn't want to come to your bar two to three to four times a week, then what is your bar's atmosphere in that way? Are you serving your community or are you serving yourself? Um, and I think that's something you have to ask yourself. Right. And I think Houston, just like many other cities in the country, like everything is shifting and changing. Mm -hmm. So downtown Houston, and this affects something. So, so. You know, Two-Headed Dog is, it, is is south on Maine, basically, and then we're at the very north end of Buffalo Bayou. So it's not the same neighborhood by any means, but it's basically on the same street. So, you know, now there's thousands of people who live in all these luxury high-rises downtown, all kind of looking for that city walking experience and trying to figure out, like, where they live in that environment. You know, I think that's happening other places in Houston. It's certainly happening other places in the country. But trying to navigate things like, you know, general cost of business, you know, the, you know, minimum wage, like all these different things that are changing is true for everybody. Yeah. I, I did kind of wonder about that because you have a lot of new residential near you, especially downtown. Uh, I, I, you know, that people who pay like $2,000 or $2,500 a month in rent, that's so 
so foreign to just my like economic reality right. that I, I don't, I don't feel like I know them very well. And I, I mean, I kind of understand what restaurants they want to eat at cause that's my job, I guess. But like, where do they, are they, are they coming to you? They are to me, um, not in small little, it's couples. It's the individual fella. There was a guy that came in with his daughter the other day um, talking about wedding plans. It was like, hey, can I rent you guys out? And I was like, well, that's a weird, okay, okay let's talk. Let's, <laughs> I didn't even think that was an option. Um, but it's these, they pop in and they're like, wow, this is so different from everything around Midtown. And not to say that the things that are going on in Midtown aren't great in their own right. And they're not, I mean, you know, they know what they're doing. They're printing cash and I'm, I'm trucking along, you know, but my goal. You don't have neon signs or Instagrammable or a slide. I mean, you're, it's like just a place to get a a good drink. Well, I, I plan to be there for 15 years, you know, or more. Like that's my goal is I didn't want 12. I want one and I want to be there for a while and I'm going to be behind the bar there serving and looking everybody into the, their eyes for the next 15 years. And I'm, I'm happy with that. And if we can have people that feel that that's a hub for them, they, you know, that's where they're at on Christmas. That's where they get engaged. That's where they're going to meet the person that they're going to be with forever. Or that's where they're going to have the worst breakup of their life. Guess what? Our four walls are there for you. Same bar. Yeah. <laughs> Same bar. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but for me, that's really important. And so the people that are coming from those apartments are just, I feel like they're just people too. You know, they just got way more money than us. So buy that pappy baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll get, you'll get your one bottle a year. You can, you yeah. can mark it up for a hundred dollars for two ounces and, and you know, that'll, yeah. It'll it'll pay your rent for the month. Yeah, hope. I'm I'm also the weirdo that was like, I don't want the I don't want the BTAC allotments. I, I want this weird bottle of Rosia, please. And he's like, What? And I was like, Yeah, that's <laughs> no. You should. I mean, get the Rosia, but like you yeah. should also when they when they offer you the Sazerac 18, like don't just say yeah. yes. Just right. say yes. Right? I use I, I uh, by no means I always will. I'm just not going to try to eye gouge for it. You know, like my thing is like there's plenty of other stuff I'd love to sell instead of. Trying to be like, give it to me, not them. Ha ha. You know, because <laughs> like, <laughs> it kind of gets like that. It's a rough, it's a rough town out there. And, but I feel like the Houston community can also be very kind to each other. And when we try to be kind and not gouge each other's eyes out, it's better for everyone. <laughs> yeah. And it, sure. Absolutely. I, ah! I'm, I'm anti eye gouging. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Um, Michael, you, you are doing some kind of cool stuff at, at Cottonmouth Club, and I don't want to, I don't want to give you short shrift. I mean, you no, no, you have that crazy new menu or newish menu now that's that looks like a like an '80s rock zine. Yeah. What's the tablature? It's it's oh it's it's under, under the, bridge. the bridge. Yeah, under the bridge. <laughs> I mean, it's meant to kind of. I mean, we 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 picked our uh, inspirations. And a lot of those were kind of commonalities that uh, first Mike Raymond and I had, and then other people who worked there had them as well. And a lot of that was that kind of 70s, 80s, CBGB, rock and roll, post-punk thing. And, you know, David Bowie is featured prominently, as is Elvis Presley, as is, you know, Patti Smith. So, like, that's kind of the world we wanted to live in. If, when... You know, the menu was the menu was like this big kind of conceptual thing that was based on uh, an article in Cream Magazine in 1973. 
And, you know, I don't want to go into the details of like why I thought that was important, but it was because it was this hidden little cocktail menu created by Alice Cooper and his band, published in 1973, which is considered the dark ages of cocktails in general. Yeah, this is the, this is the height of like sweet and sour mix. and uh... Right, but it also was published and it was there. And so, you know, the idea that we invented something as opposed to inherited it to me was very comforting. So we, we use that as an inspiration. And because we're, I mean, because like we're really, really, really stupid, we decided to just add more shit on. Okay. No, you can say that. Okay, That's good. Fine. Uh, we <laughs> it just wasn't gotta, me. We, <laughs> right. we layered more stuff on there because to me, you know, you said earlier, and, and this is a kind of general thing that people think about cocktails, right? They think they're fancy. There's nothing fancy about a cocktail. There's, fa- there's something fancy about an experience. You can make it as impactful as you want, but it's not inherently, there's nothing inherently fancy about an old fashioned. It's got three things in it. So we wanted to kind of take the idea that we're taking something that is impactful from a, an experience and a flavor, flavor perspective and wrap it in a package that made you think about Alice Cooper. So I would rather drink an old fashioned thinking about Alice Cooper than thinking about um, if it's better or worse than you know, milk and honey in New York or anvil in Houston or the varnish in Los Angeles. Or, you know, it's like, I'm not, I don't want to put its validity in other bars. I want to put its validity in other social context. And that to me is way more fun than trying to out cool somebody. Cause I know I'll never out cool out Alice Cooper. So I don't need to do that. I can just say like, Hey, let's all, you know, think about feed my Frankenstein and its cultural subtext and then enjoy this cocktail instead of sitting around going like, okay, you know, how, what whiskey did you use? Like, did you stir counterclockwise or clockwise? Like how many dashes of bitters? Like what kind of sugar? It's like, whatever, man. It's like, it's not an interesting conversation anymore. I think that goes into being a part of the moment and the experience totally. when you walk into a bar instead of sitting there and being like, well, it's not like this and it's not like that. It's like, no, you are where you are in the moment and enjoy what hits your lips and the flavors that you want. And maybe in that moment you want an old fashioned because Alice Cooper, and maybe in that moment you wanted a vodka soda and maybe that moment you want to be like, Hey, make me something light and lovely, you know? And I think if we stop comparing things to everywhere else, we can start enjoying the moments we have in those bars because that's why you're paying $5 for the Tecate and not the exactly 50 cents. Right. <laughs> it's all covering my printing costs. Yeah. But, but, but further, but, but what whiskey and what sugar and how much, bitter, I mean, all that stuff matters, right? Why? Because it changes the way that it tastes. I mean, I can change the taste more by uh, making, you, making you happy than making you feel judged. I can take change it more by giving you the like the hope that you're gonna walk home tonight not by yourself, than you know slink home drunk and alone. Like you want a really good old fashioned, then sit next to someone you're like I might get laid tonight. That's a really good old fashioned. Yeah, I not always my perspective, but I do I mean, see it. It's, it's, it's an example. Yeah, well, no, I know, but, I know. But, well, it's an expect, it's, well, it's the one thing that's the hardest to account for in writing about restaurants is. The weight of expectations. Yeah. Because if I, you know, like I have an opinion about, right. I, I think Nancy's hustle is wonderful. Right. But Fantastic. if, but if, Agreed. but if you have read all these things about how wonderful Nancy's hustle is and it's three weeks to get a reservation and then I, you know, you like, go in I don't know. And eat you go the burger and you, and you go and you, and you go and you're like, you get the, the pelmeni dumplings or whatever. And you're like, Eh. like 
is it because the is it because the dumplings weren't great that night or is it just because like your the hype was like turned up to 11 and you just but that's their job their yeah. job is to manage those expectations. Mm-hmm. And so I get that a lot because I do a lot of bespoke cocktails and always have. So I have people come down and they're really excited. They're like, oh my God, it's you. And I have to then be able to say, I'm not going to tell you I'm going to manage your expectations, but I need to I need to ramp you down a little bit, man. Because if you walk in saying like, this is the guy that's going to change my life with a cocktail, I'm like, we need to we need to shunt it over a little bit. And that's my job. And that's any, any you know, and that's true for, because, you know, Anybody who's hyped for any reason, some people are going to come in either because they're excited, they want the experience, or they want to come in and say like, okay, I'm going to come in and have a bad time and be able to walk out and say, see, I told you, like, it's not that great. Like, we as Americans have a genetic, like, disposition to look at anybody who says, I am excellent and go like, "Mm, maybe, maybe you're not excellent. So we have to sit there and say, okay, we want to make excellent experiences. If we do that and people start talking about it, then we still have to deal with that too. So... You know, it's it's not like part of anybody's training manual to be able to, to be able to say how to do that. But yeah, I love Nancy's hustle, and there's items in on that menu that people have said like this is what you have to get there. And I'll look at it and be like, well, I mean, just because you like it doesn't mean I'm not going to. But I'm also not going to look for that transformative experience there. I'm going to try to find it somewhere else. Our clientele, that's not their job. It's, it's not their job to make their own experience. It's our job to make it. So I have to be, I have to be compassionate enough to know who's coming in and why and then be able to deliver experience for each individual person that meets the expectations that I have. Whether it meets theirs or not kind of depends on how well I did it. And that's one of the reasons why, because um, I was going to Two-Headed Dog since, you know, I got to see it when they were opening it. I was there on the, when they had eight bottles and I've seen it now with 100 bottles. That's also, you know, looking at someone who has a specific kind of reputation and look at how they build a new place that kind of like acknowledges that reputation, but doesn't say like, okay, we're going to do grand prize too. We're going to find our own way in this new thing. And we're going to make a new thing with new people. That's an excellent operator. And that is often true for places that are new, but it's also hard because, you know, people, people want you to be one thing and it's just not, not possible. It's not possible to walk in and make sure everyone has this, you know, has this same time every time because everybody's different. I think it also comes to that front end of if you worry and you're caring about experiences and dealing with individuals that walk in and care about them, because that's one thing I let my staff know is everybody that walks in here is worth eye contact, talk to, they need a menu, say hi to them. And sometimes at Grand Prize, we were so overwhelmed that didn't happen. And for here, because we're two wells and we did the front end work, we do the heavy production work, that's something that would be 15 to 20 pickups gets put on draft, that we use acid substitutes. We do the work ahead of time that would be put your head down to make sure things are quality. That's why we're very um, forward about saying this is our household fashion. This is our house hot toddy because the expectations are you're in our house. You We're more than welcome. We want you in our house, but this is our house. This isn't somebody else's house. We're not going to do things the way they do them. Our flavor profiles are going to be a little quirky. They're going to be a little different. They're the amalgamation of the staff that has such a wide range of backgrounds from tiki to like high-end New Orleans hotels to, you know, mezcal bars. And so when we put all these people together, we can create a large flavor portfolio and palette for everyone around us. But at the same time, it's more about the experience. And if you walk in, trust the house that we're going to take care of you. And if you didn't get taken care of, then that's something we need to fix. 
but give us the chance to bonk it and fix it or give us the chance to blow your mind the first time. You know, I think I'm going to I'm going to leave it there cuz this is gone this is gone about the right amount of time. Um I thought you were going to say far afield. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> no, this is everything I wanted it to be. We didn't I, start I, talking about the sedual third eyes oh, and the we sense of self and third Christmas. places. I yeah. mean, we didn't talk about your your like plan for a, an old fashioned a citywide old fashioned oh, competition. That's true. We have I it's oh, on the list. It'll it'll come you'll you'll come back. We'll do this again. Bird box. Um, Bird box totally. Lindsay, I, I always end this uh, these interviews with something I call the lightning round. Uh, five easy questions, five short answers. Uh, since Michael's already played, I'm just going to focus on you. Oh, no. <laughs> can I phone a friend? <laughs> you, can, you, have, you have Michael. You can. Yeah, sure. You can, uh, <laughs> what is your, uh, what's your favorite cocktail book? Oh, hands on my favorite. Um, or the, the, one you, the one you're currently like the most excited about? The one I really love the Death and Co book because I love the way they talk about the regulars. I love that they give them pages and nuances, and it's yeah, I love that. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh man, uh, the first band I went on my own to go see. Oh God, um, Small Brown Bike. Oh, who were they with? Hot Water Music, Jay Church, Fabulous Disaster, and Propagandi at Fitzgerald's. Nice. What is your uh, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive thru. With a drive thru? Yeah. Oh man. Uh the pe- the the crappy pizza place with the slices. It's what is it? Pepperonis. A pepperoni oh, slice. Nice. It's Absolutely. right there. Ray Ray Salty will be very pleased by that answer. It's not crappy in the way that's bad. It's crappy in the way that I'll eat two of them, feel bad about myself, but I can work another twelve hours. Uh I feel like I'm I'm skating on the nice with this. Do you have a favorite Houston sports figure? Uh, sports? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can I say my favorite uh, Houston like actor or Absolutely. theater person? Absolutely. Andrew Love. He's the best. <laughs> Who is Andrew Love? Andrew Love is like an actual anime voice actor. He works with me on Neo Benchy, but he also works with Classic Theater Company. He's fantastic. All right. And then uh, finally, when you uh, go to a pizzeria for the first time, what is your go-to pizza order? Uh, pepperoni. Awesome. Lindsay, thanks for being here. Thanks oh, give for us the me. Give us the social media and everything for Two-Headed Dog. Uh, we're at Two-Headed Dog TX. Um, you can me- email us there with at Gmail at the end if you have any questions. Someone invented a Facebook page for us I'm trying to get access to, and I'm also trying to make our website. <laughs> Michael, give us the rundown for uh, the Cottonmouth Club. Pretty much everything is at Cottonmouth or Cottonmouth Houston. Uh cottonmouthhouston.com is the website where you can see the menu and flip through it so by all means come visit us awesome thank you both thank you so much it's good to be back all right Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news have a happy Thanksgiving everybody I'll be back next week